Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 115, and we are recording on January 23rd. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello, Amanda. Howdy, howdy. I, it's funny because I just saw you, like, in person. <laughs> it was great. We went to yoga. We did. We did. We ate a lot of brunch. We had brunch. I had a really good hot dog. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the brunch nice. show. <laughs> yes. So now we'll just reminisce about that instead of actually doing a show. Pony, <laughs> <laughs> come on. Y'all got enough reading recommendations at this point, don't you? <laughs> Jake, Let's Jake, talk Jake. about hot dogs. Just kidding. <laughs> um, what are you reading right now? Uh, I just started Make Trouble, which is Cecile Richards' new book uh, that comes out in April. Um, so for those of you who don't know who that is, she's the president, the current president of Planned Parenthood. Um, she's also Ann Richards' daughter, which I didn't know somehow oh. that like totally escaped my brain. Um, so yeah, I am a volunteer for Planned Parenthood. I'm on their uh, Young Professionals Council for the Planned Parenthood chapter in Virginia. Um, and I'm pretty involved with them, so I was really excited when I found out she had a book coming out. So it's kind of like a memoir, leadershipy, you know, these books that people are writing these days about, like, I have a powerful position, here's my life story, kind of a thing. Um, but I'm enjoying it. She's she's funny. You know, like, I've read some of her writings before, uh, newspaper columns and stuff like that. She's got a great voice, so I am enjoying it. What about you? I, I on the train home from Richmond, I finished Year One by Nora Roberts, which is sort of like if you took the strand, the stand, excuse me, the stand by Stephen King or the strain um, by Guillermo del Toro, but then did it Nora Roberts style. That's sort of what this book is. It's a apocalypse story. Uh, the basically like 80%, 90% of humanity gets wiped out by a magical bird flu. It's magic, but it's the bird flu, but it's magic. <laughs> and also a bunch of people suddenly sort of like wake up to find that they have powers that they didn't before. Um, so, for example, one of the POV characters is an EMT who can kind of sense death in people. There's a couple who were sort of dabblers in witchcraft before the event, and now they have, like, real power. Um, there are a bunch of different characters, so it does move around a little bit. And it is very... Like, there's, like, people who, like, have wings. And then there's, like, dark magic sorcerers who are awful and, like, human sacrifice and stuff. Ooh, um, yeah, Nora, it gets, so it gets dark. pretty dark. I know. And what's interesting about this book is that I have read some of her fantasy romances. Like, if you've read the Circle Trilogy, which is her sort of modern vampire slash Celtic goddess of war romance trilogy I actually quite enjoy that one um just for funsies um it, it it has some things in common with that but this book is not a romance she she wrote an introduction to the galley that's like 
I have written a lot of romances of a lot of different kinds, but this is the first book I've ever written that's not a romance. And when you get to the end, you're like, yep, this is not a romance. Like, there, people die. It's not a happily ever after. Um, and yeah, it was it was very enjoyable. It made for good train reading, although it sort of cements this problem I have with Nora Roberts is that like nobody in her books is ever gay. Hmm. Like they just don't exist. She's gotten way better about racial representation, but she still is falling down on that. So, but this is the first in a series. I don't know. Maybe she'll wake up and smell the world around her at some point. But that, so that's my one objection to that book. I really Mini thought, review, yeah, Jen. I really thought that Rebecca's husband was reading this when I went over <laughs> to their house because, you know, Jen stayed with Rebecca while she was here in town. Um, and I saw it on the coffee table. And I know Rebecca doesn't read a lot of fantasy because she's, or like, you know, sci fi stuff because she's not into world building so much. So I was super confused. And then I was looking at her husband like, did you pick up a Nora Roberts book? Like, I have so many questions. And then I remembered that Jen was there. It was me. <laughs> it me. It me. All right. So let's see. Before we dive into the show, I want to do a quick shout out to listener Miranda, who sent us an email with her amazing reading statistics for the past few years, including the gem that we beat basically every other book recommender that she tracks, including NPR, like... Round of applause for us. I don't know why that's so satisfying. But it is so satisfying. I love NPR, though. but it's still really like, yeah, what? What? What, NPR? What's good? Um, we are. We're yes. good. <laughs> so thank you for that, Miranda. Everybody, please feel free to send us your reading statistics, st- scattergraph, pie charts, whatever. Ha- happy to see them. Uh, so this is a book recommendation show, which means you send us questions about what you should read next, what your book group should pick up, what you could give as a gift to somebody else, and we will do our best to come up with options for you. Sometimes we will answer you via email if we don't think we're going to get to your question by the time you mentioned you needed it or if we've answered the question before. Speaking of time sensitive, if you have a time sensitive question, please note it in the very beginning of your question so that we can get to it on time. And you can submit those questions either to us by email. It's getbooked at bookriot.com. Or there's a form at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every show. So with that being all said, I am going to read our first question. And then Amanda is going to do our first sponsor and away we will go. So the first question is from Brenna, who says, I have an upcoming trip to India for work, and I need some recommendations on what to take with me. I will be traveling with a group of MAWGs, middle-aged white guys, <laughs> co-workers, <laughs> who are a bit oblivious bro and can be exhausting when being around them for long periods of time. The idea of long-term travel with these people is a bit overwhelming and stressing me out. Do you have any bookish escapes with strong female characters that can make this trip a little less daunting? Brownie points if they involve India in some form. All right. Yes, we do have recommendations for you. Before we get started, I want to talk about our first sponsor, which is Libby. The tagline I'm giving it is the app that makes this podcast possible. Because yeah. <laughs> since, since I got it, and I know uh, Jen uses it constantly, I have also been using it constantly. So what is it, you might ask? Uh, Libby is the one-tap reading app from Overdrive. Um, so you can download Libby to your smartphone, and it allows you to borrow thousands of ebooks and audiobooks for free anytime, anywhere from your local library. So you'll find library books in you know all the genres, bestsellers, classics, nonfiction, even comics, um, audiobooks also. 
Libby works on iPhones and Android devices. It's compatible with Kindle. All you need is a library card, but you can sample any book in the collection without a card. Um, and in some locations, Libby will even get your library card for you, which is super rad. And if you have happened to have moved around a little bit and have library cards from multiple counties, like I do, please don't tell anyone, uh, you can actually register all of them. So like if my local library doesn't have it, uh, doesn't have the book on Libby in their digital c collection, I can like log into the other library that I was in and check that one too. <laughs> and Same. some library systems, Same. it's so great. I just, whoops, cheating. I don't care. They love it. Numbers, you know, libraries mm -hmm. need circulation numbers. Um, and then you can change how long you keep them out. Like I've got mindset to keep books for 21 days or audiobooks for 21 days, which gives me enough time to get through them. Um, so yeah, it just, go use it. It's just so handy. Every time we get questions for the show that I can't answer, I like do a little bit of research. If it's available on, on Libby, that's the thing that I'm going to read and see if it's a, a good fit for the question. So thank you so much for sponsoring the show. Everybody go download Libby. Okay, I'm just going to keep going. Mm -hmm. So I want to give a shout out in this question to Men Explain Things to Me by Rebecca Solnit, which I think would just be funny for you to read in front of them. I don't know. Like, I think that that's, that's just an entertaining mental image. Might not actually be fun for you, but it's fun for me. Uh, and would give you maybe some ammunition for dealing with the, the ways in which oblivious bro-y coworkers can be obnoxious. But my actual... Uh, recommendation for this is a new cozy mystery series that is just came out and is great. It's the first book is The Widows of Malabar Hill. It's by Sujata Masi and it takes place in India. It takes place in the 20s. Um, and the main character's name is Praveen Mystery, and she is a brilliant lawyer. She just graduated from Oxford, which was Super tough for all the reasons that you can imagine a woman in 1921 going to Oxford from India, uh, all the problems that she would have uh, getting through that kind of experience. And she is the daughter of a respected family, and she's just joined her father's law firm, making her one of the first women to become a lawyer in India. Uh, she also has kind of like a tragic backstory that you find out about that makes her really especially devoted to working to protect the rights of women in her country. Um, so her father's law firm is handling the will of a wealthy mill owner whose name was Mr. Farid, who has died. He had three wives, so he's left three widows. And as Praveen is like going through the papers and processing the estate, she realizes that all three of the women have signed over their inheritance to a charity, which means that they have left themselves with nothing to live on. So she gets super suspicious. The problem is that these widows um, live in Aperta. Their family is Muslim, and they're in strict seclusion. They don't ever leave the women's quarters of their home, and they're not allowed to talk to men that they're not related to. So, like, how is a lawyer going to get in there to double-check uh, that they, you know, haven't been swindled? By being a woman is how. So she goes to investigate and realizes that her like instincts about the will being hinky were right. And then there's a murder and then she has to get down to the bottom of it all in the name of protecting these women who have been left behind sort of helpless with no money um, in India in the 1920s. So it's like really, really feministy and the, the um, main character is just so smart um, and you like you just root like you root for her the whole time. So I think that this would be a good thing for you to read on your trip. So that's The Widows of Malabar Hill by Sujata Masi. I picked for you Bright Lines by Thani Nandini Islam, which is not India, um, but it is geographically nearby. It's Bangladesh and Brooklyn. Surprise. <laughs> um, and I think this novel will give you a bunch of female characters to root for and also all of the feelings. It is a family story. It starts in Brooklyn. There's a young woman named Ella who was an orphan and um, has moved in with her uncle and aunt in Brooklyn and their daughter. Um, 
um, to uh, like be part of their family. And one summer, she comes home from college and finds that Charu, uh, her sort of stepsister, um, her friend Maya is like living in Ella's room. Um, and Maya is the daughter of an Islamic clerk and she has run away from home. Um, and so the three girls who are all, you know, young women like college or almost to college are having a summer together. Um, and there's a lot of different dynamics going on there. There's, there is an LGBTQ storyline in here, which is great. Um, in the meantime, the uncle slash father figure Anwar who owns a popular local apothecary is hiding some secrets that are going to threaten his very long marriage. And then a tragedy strikes and the family find themselves like blamed in the neighborhood. And so he decides to take them all to Bangladesh to reconnect with their past. Um, and this book, I will tell you, yanked on my heartstrings so hard for a lot of reasons. It's got that coming of age story thing where you watch these young women sort of struggle to figure out who they are and how they are in relationship to each other. Um, the family like situation is very complicated and so there's there's a lot of feelings around that and then their position in their neighborhood, which is complicated by the fact that they are from Bangladesh and not white. Um, and then when they go to Bangladesh, oh my goodness, like really like five alarms, not bomb, have some tissues ready for just warning you. Um, but yeah, it's got great complicated female characters. It's got a lot of really good plot and it's just very immersive. I just fell right into it and have not stopped thinking about it since I first read it. And I think I read it right after it came out in 2015. So this book is like three years worth of being on my brain. <laughs> so I think you will enjoy it. So that is Bright Lines by Thani Nandini Islam. All right. Question two is from Paul, who says, can you recommend books by Haitian authors or authors from other, quote, hmm, S-H-I-T whole countries, unquote. Uh, for some reason, I have an urge to read books by Haitian or African authors. I've already read Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, which I loved. Okay, I guess we should give this some context, maybe. Uh, for those of you who don't follow the vagaries of our president, he made a comment. I think it was last week, um, wondering why we accept immigrants from what he called SHIT whole countries, um, as opposed to accepting immigrants from like Norway. And you can see the contrast there uh, and what he actually meant. So yeah, moving on. Mm. Um, I picked a book of short stories for you. It's called Crick Crack. It's by Edwidge Dantecott, which is um, a National Book Award finalist when it came out. I don't think it won, but I think it was a finalist. Um, Dantecott is like, I, I mean, I would say Haiti's most famous mm -hmm. author. Um, and I really love this collection of short stories. There are nine total in the collection. And they almost, I think they all, if I remember right, focus on Haitian women and the things that Haitian women struggle with and have to deal with in their lives. Uh, the book came out in the mid-90s, and so it addresses a lot of, if you remember any of that time period, the kind of civil strife that was happening in the country at the time. Um, and so, you know, it, it, these are stories about women who are facing loss and jail time and uh, losing their loved ones to escape attempts where, you know, like they get in leaky boats and try to make it to the U.S. and that sort of thing. Um, it's really heartbreaking and hard to read, um, but... I, get, I mean, educational, I, I would say. Not that the, I, I kind of hate using that word as like, and here's why you should read it, because reading isn't necessarily about like 
I don't know, homework. Um, but that's what you asked for, so that's what you're getting. And I really like short stories as a, a way to learn more about a specific place you've never been because you get so many different perspectives as opposed to just like one narrative or one, one voice or one point of view. Um, in this, you're really getting a, a lot of different perspectives on uh, Haiti at like in the 90s, but also in general, like their culture in general. Um, so yeah, go, go forth and read and enjoy. So that's Crick Crack by Edwidge Donticutt. She is so great. Mm-hmm. She actually wrote the foreword to my pick, which is Hadriana in All My Dreams by Rene de Pestre. Uh, the translator is Kaima L. Glover. And this is a zombie novel, but like not a white people plague zombie novel. This is like a voodoo, Haiti, like Afro-Caribbean zombie novel. Um, it is... It's hard to describe. It starts with, uh, it's during Carnival, the holiday, um, in 1938 in this tiny village in Haiti called Jacmel. Um, And there's a young woman who is French Creole, and she's about to marry a Haitian boy from a prominent family. But on the morning of the wedding, she drinks a potion, sort of unintentionally, and then collapses at the altar. So her wedding turns into her funeral. And then she, it turns out she has been turned into a zombie and revived by an evil sorcerer and stolen from her grave. And so on the surface of it, it is her story. But this book is so much more than that. Um, there is some meta narrative going on in part because the author is from this. This village is a real place that the author is from. So it's like very sort of real life except for this, you know, um, Well, not except for, like, real life with this uh, zombie twist. Mm -hmm. And it goes into sort of the history of zombies in Haiti um, and how it's actually about, like, gender and power and sexual coercion. And... um, it is very, it is a very sensual book. I mean, it's set during Carnival, and there's like a lot of that going on. <laughs> Which, if you know anything about Carnival, you will not be surprised. Um, but fair warning. And I just found it incredibly fascinating. In addition to which it does not go where you think it's going to go. The book is divided into three parts, and I can't tell you about the third, but it really resolves all the sort of discomfort I had with what was going on to Hadriana in the beginning of the book. So it is, it's a really fascinating read. It's not like anything else you've read before, I am pretty sure. <laughs> and if you have read something else like it, please tell me, because I would love to read that too. Uh, but yes, that is Hadriana in All My, all my Dreams by Renee DePestre, uh, translated by Kaima L. Glover. I can speak. I've had a lot of coffee today. Oh my. Fair warning. (laughs) All right. Question three is from Lindsay who says, my friend doesn't read very much, but she wants to. The last book she read and loved was The Time Traveler's Wife. Can you recommend any adventure romance style books that are similar to that? I've suggested The Night Circus and My Name is Memory so far. You go ahead. Okay, I took this question to the contributors because I hadn't read The Time Traveler's Wife and I wanted to get this right uh, and, rec- and like get a rec from somebody who was familiar with that book. So our contributor, Angel, recommended The Girl from Everywhere by Heidi Heilig, which is a young adult time travel pirate novel. Thank you very much. So Nyx is the main character and she lives with her father on his pirate ship. And her father, had, well, or is it the ship? has this kind of, not kind of, magical ability to travel anywhere or any when, as long as he has a map 
to that place or to that time. Um, so that includes mythical fictional lands. As long as he's got a map to it, he can go there. So you want to go to China in the 1800s, awesome. Uh, if you want to go like to the world of a thousand one night and one nights, you can do that. And along the way, they've like picked up, you know, a ragtag group of crewmates and friends, and one of whom becomes a romantic interest for Nix. Um, but all of that is kind of secondary to his her father's like obsession, which is getting one map to uh, 19th century Honolulu so that he can get back to Nix's mother and prevent her from dying. And like this is the thing that consumes him is is getting that map. Um, the problem with that, of course, would be that doing that would possibly erase Nix from existence and keep her from ever having been born. Um, so she's kind of struggling with, like, I mean, I want my mother to be alive, but also I would like to be alive, which is, like, how do, how do you reconcile that? I don't know. And also reconcile the fact that your father is willing to take that risk of negating your existence in order to get his love back. So while they're doing that, like, going on this quest, they also get caught up in, like, the toppling of the Hawaiian monarchy. And there's like a really epic gold heist that runs through the whole frame of the book. There's a love triangle. It is definitely a romance adventure plus pirates, which I think, you know, pirates make everything better. So that's The Girl from Everywhere by Heidi Heilig. Pirates do make everything better. I don't think there are any pirates in my pick <laughs> for you. I picked The Bone Clocks by David Mitchell. And it's not maybe an obvious comp. I have read The Time Traveler's Wife, and I was thinking about what makes that book so compelling. And obviously it is, you know, time travel and romance, but it's also sort of exploring the different ways that people relate to each other and as in, in complicated relationships. And uh, The Bone Clocks is, has a lot of different narrators. It also moves around in time and place. Um, there is a sort of magical component to it. And it's very like meaty. It's a book you can sink your teeth into, which I also felt like The Time Traveler's Wife has that as well. So uh, the sort of starting plot is that there's a 15-year-old girl named Holly who has a big fight with her mom about her boyfriend, because obviously. Mm -hmm. um, and she's like, I am gonna run away from home and like teach her to yell at me. Um, and so, so she sort of takes off on this wander around the English countryside. Um, but she also, as a child, had psychic sort of... Uh, hearing like she heard people talking who weren't there um and she's kind of put that aside but now as she's wandering around like some of those things from her childhood start to come back to her and then it turns out that she has caught the attention of this like cabal of secret mystical magic users who are obsessed with immortality and there's a war going on between the good side and the bad side and she is just a person who then gets drafted into it and then you start to meet all of these other players in this story and like some of it takes place in the medieval Swiss Alps in a monastery and some of it's like you know 19th century in Australia and then there's you know Manhattan um, at a bookstore it, it, it jumps around a lot but it all sort of focuses on this underground you know secret war um, and there is a there's there's a there's several relationships developing throughout the book, some of which survive and some of which do not. But you get really pulled in emotionally as well as by the actual plot line. So I think this might scratch some of those same feels. And then if she likes it, David Mitchell has a bunch of other books, uh, so she could read those too. So that is The Bone Clocks by David Mitchell. 
All right. Question four is from Sarah, um, who says, I live and work in New York, but the company I work for recently acquired some business in Canada. I'll soon be the staff manager of some employees living and working in Canada, which is exciting. I'm looking forward to learning about the employment laws, HR policies, etc. of another country, but I realize that I know very, very little about Canada. I don't know any Canadian history, hardly any current or recent events, and my cultural knowledge is limited to how great Trudeau seems. <laughs> He does seem pretty great. Uh, can you help? I'm looking for readable, engaging nonfiction that focuses on Canada's history, current events, or culture. It'd be fine if it focused on a specific event or topic. At this point, any knowledge will be a plus. <clears throat> okay. This one is maybe going to sound a little bit out of left field, but bear with me. So I picked Testimony, which is Robbie Robertson's memoir. And Robbie Robertson is the guitarist from the band... That is the name of the band. The, the band is called the band. <laughs> for those, for those of you who are at all familiar with like mid-century classic rock, whatever. Anyway, um, so Robbie Robertson is a is a famous, a very famous musician. Um, like his band, the band traveled with Bob Dylan. Um, he's produced a lot of soundtracks for like for Raging Bull and a bunch of movies for Martin Scorsese. Like he's very accomplished and well known in the musical spheres. He's from Canada and he grew up on the Brantford Six Nations Reserve, and he is half Jewish and half Mohawk. Um, so he had a he had a really particular kind of childhood in Toronto, and it's I think quite indicative of that time period and a, a moment of Canadian culture and a or a place of Canadian culture and a moment in Canadian history. Um, so it's not I mean it's you know he was famous at his most famous really in like the '60s, so it's not necessarily the most recent, but it I think gives a good um, kind of starting place for if you are interested in how um, Canada has treated its First Nations groups. Um, plus, you know, music nerd, like, that's just fun. So it's kind of, a, I, a lot of history books can be really dry and boring, and I thought coming at it from a little bit sideways might be a fun way uh, to learn about a country you were unfamiliar with. So that's Testimony by Robbie Robertson. I have an essay collection for you. One day we'll all be dead and none of this will matter by Sachi Cole. This is on my TBR. I haven't read it yet, um, but I confirmed with our contributor, Beth O'Brien, that this would be a good pick for you. Um, it is a series of essays, like I said, um, but it is about growing up in Canada and being an outsider because she's not white. Um, and so she is you know, talking about racism and sexism and having immigrant parents and being a woman of color and, you know, all of the gender rules that are present in both Western and Indian cultures. Um, and she's also very funny. Like, you should look her up on Twitter. Mm -hmm. She's hilarious. Um, and at this book, it's, like, shameful to me that I haven't read it yet because I've been meaning to read it since before it came out. One day I will get to it, I swear. Um, but in the meantime, you could get to it sooner than me. <laughs> potentially um but yeah so funny and also very sort of culturally on point and uh currently relevant so again that is one day we'll all be dead and none of this will matter by sachi cole she is the best commentator on taylor swift yeah. on twitter <laughs> that there ever was i remember she tweeted like was it 
one of her, one of Taylor Swift's new videos came out and she tweeted something like the theme of Taylor Swift's new vi- music video is they're giving me too much of a budget. <laughs> <laughs> You're just right. Oh She's so funny. She's so funny. It's so smart. Um, okay, I'm going to do our second sponsor, which I have actually read. I talked about it on all the books this week. It's Eternal Life by Dara Horn, um, on sale now from W.W. Norton. And this is about a woman named Rachel who cannot die. She is 2,000 years old in the modern world. Um, she made a bargain with God to save the life of her first son back in Roman-occupied Jerusalem. And she has basically been trying to get out of this immortality bargain ever since, uh, to no avail. She's also continued to get married and have children and grandchildren. And now that technology is catching up with her, she has to make some decisions about what is going to happen in her life. So it is a book that celebrates the bonds between generations. It's about faith. It's about purposes of death um, and reasons for being alive. And there are not a ton of books that look at immortal women specifically. And then on top of that, immortal women who have children, like regularly while being immortal. <laughs> so so there's a lot of interesting new ground that Dara Horn is playing with in this book. So yes, it is it is very interesting. It's also like a bit of a jarring juxtaposition between, you know, hearing about like ancient Judaism and scholarship in, you know, Jerusalem 2000 years ago and then like Bitcoin and genetic engineering. <laughs> so it, it covers, yeah, it, yeah, specifically Bitcoin. Uh, it like plays a part in the plot line. It's very, it's very, um, there's a lot going on here. So if that sounds interesting to you, which it should, you should definitely pick it up. And that is Eternal Life by Dara Horn. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. All right, our next question is from Sophie, who is from Ireland. Hello, Sophie. Uh, says, I was hoping you could recommend me books written by Native Americans. They can be fiction or nonfiction as long as the author is actually Native American, especially after Wind River left me with a bad taste in my mouth. I'm looking for atmospheric books with well-drawn characters, open to all genres, but wouldn't want anything that is very violent or disturbing. Amanda, what you got? Okay, I am obsessed with this book. I just finished it a few days ago, and it is just so good. Okay, um, it's Murder on the Red River by Marcy R. Rendon, which is a murder mystery, but it is not super violent. Like, the, there's there's not a lot of gore or blood or, you know, guts or anything like that. So it's readable, even if you are sensitive to uh, violence on the page, which I very much am. Um, so Marcy Rendon is Native American. She is a member of the White Earth Anishinaabe tribe, or Anishinaabe Nation, um, which is in northern Minnesota. And that is where the book takes place. Um, Well, like in Fargo and also Minnesota. So the main character's name is Cash. She's 19 years old, um, and she is an aged-out foster kid. She grew up on a reservation until her mother, who had a problem with alcohol, uh, flipped their car into a ditch, and her and her siblings were taken by, uh, you know, social services and separated and sent to live with a series of white foster families who, uh, you know, she experiences a lot of abuse at the hands of her foster families. Um, She moves from foster family to foster family um, and grows up among white people, but is treated very poorly because she is Native American. Um, So that all happens before the book opens. When the book opens, she's 19. She's been kind of taken under the wing of a local sheriff who um, puts her up in an apartment, makes sure that she has food and is like feeding herself um, and generally keeps an eye on her. But she makes a living as a field hand working the farms in and around um, the town that she lives in in Minnesota. 
and also as like a pool shark. So she kind of bounces from bar to bar, is pretty aimless. And then one day, a Native American man is found stabbed on the side of the road outside of the town where she lives. And her, uh, the sheriff who, she, who is like essentially her father figure, asks her to come help him um, identify the body and find out what happened because he knows that like the feds who have come down to investigate the murder aren't going to get anywhere trying to talk to the people who live on the reservations where this guy came from. So she does. She puts herself in a lot of harm's way. Actually, like she gets very bulldogish about it. Like she has no authority in this situation at all. But once she gets involved and, you know, sees that the, the man had seven children, she doesn't want them to have the same foster care experience that she did. So she gets like super involved in figuring out what happened. Um, to this guy. Oh, also it takes place in like the end of the sixties or at the beginning of the seventies, like right during Vietnam. So that play that's like happening in the background the whole time. Um, but man, the, like, it is so atmospheric. You said you were looking specifically for that, but like, if you have seen the movie Fargo, like the, how those wide open spaces are just so oppressive and like there's wheat dust on everything and it <laughs> gets into everything and everything is covered in like mud and cow poop and everyone drives blue trucks for some reason. Like it is so atmospheric and you just feel like you are, I don't know, freezing on a prairie somewhere the whole time that you're reading it. And Cash is such a great character. It's written in a very Cormac McCarthy-ish kind of style, I feel like. Um, like, you know, those kind of short sentences, very like Western open plains kind of style that fits this character so well. Um, and I, I am a foster parent, so, like, I really appreciated a book about a kid who has aged out and is still trying to, like, make her way. Because those kids, man, like, just the stuff that they have to face, the struggles they have to overcome to at all succeed after they get out of care is, like, really monumental. And, of course, Native American kids have, an, like, several extra layers of difficulties to overcome because of the history of how um, those people were treated by social services um, historically and still are. So it's just, man. And, like, the murder is secondary, really, to, like, watching Cash kick butt because she's just the best. So go read it. I'm obsessed with it. It's Murder on the Red River by Marcy Rundin. I have a genre sci-fi pick for you. It is The Clockwork Dynasty by Daniel H. Wilson, who is a Cherokee citizen. Um, and this is, I, I don't, you, you said you didn't want anything that is very violent or disturbing. I'm not sure if this will qualify. There is a lot of action, but it's like automata beating each other up. It's not, <laughs> so like, there's not actually like blood and guts. There's like gears and oil. Um, so that makes a difference to me. I don't know if it'll make a difference to you. Uh, so this book follows a young anthropologist named June who is like obsessed with ancient technology. Um, she got introduced to like, you know, automatons and clockwork and stuff uh, when she was a kid and she's been obsessed ever since. Um, and she uncovers a secret in a 300-year-old mechanical doll and then get sort of drafted into this secret war that's been going on for centuries um, between a bunch of sentient automatons. Like, it's real weird. Um, and the book flips back and forth between uh, the present, in which June is sort of on the run trying to figure out what's going on, and then Russia, well, it starts in Russia in the 1700s and moves forward in time from there. Um, and you're following two of these mechanical beings uh, as they try to figure out like what they are and what is going on in their world and, and all of that stuff. So it's very international in terms of where the book takes place. Like it, there's Russia and there's China and there's the US and it's just like London and all over the place. Um, it does move around in time and space a lot. And it is just a really sort of 
action-packed, interesting world to spend time in. Um, I was very immersed. I did have a little trouble because the chapters are short and they switch back and forth from the present to the history and they switch who you're following. Um, So occasionally I was like, wait, that was just getting interesting. Like, I need more about that. All right, I guess we'll go back to Russia. Um, But but ultimately it was totally worth the read. Uh, And yeah, it's just a really like it's a sci-fi romp with a lot of a lot of action in it um in case that is too violent for you doesn't sound like what you're interested in i wanted to give you a quick alternate pick which is books and islands in ojibwe country by louise urdrich who as you know if you've ever listened to the show before (laughs) we love her and this book is just a real dreamy sort of contemplative look at um what it's like to travel around these lakes uh, in southern Ontario, um, or rather this one lake that has all these tiny islands in southern Ontario. She's thinking about, you know, her new baby. She's thinking about what she's reading. She's thinking about the nature that she's interacting with. Like, it's just it's just lovely. Um, it's short. It's beautifully written. And um, Erdrich is half Ojibwe and half French-American. And she's also an enrolled member of the Anishinaabe Nation, also known as Chippewa. She's amazing. So you could check that out too just saying (laughs) okay our next question is from meg who says recently my little sister and i both moved back to live with our parents it's been a rough couple of years my mom has been wanting to do a book club for a while now so i suggested that maybe the three of us could do our own book club the problem is finding a book we can all agree on my mom loves an interesting mystery doesn't have to be a murder she enjoys historical very much as well so historical mysteries are probably best My sister is more of a picky reader. She likes more romance and gets bored very easily. It has to grab her from the first chapter or she'll toss it aside and never pick it back up. I'm a bit more open with books. I enjoy everything except Zoran zombies. I do like a creepy aspect to a mystery. I do love creepy or spooky mysteries. The book I'm thinking of is sort of like The Diviners by Libba Bray or Rebecca. If you can come up with some recs for us, that would be great. Okay, I have the perfect book for you in my opinion it's a curious beginning by deanna rayborn which is the first book in the veronica speedwell mystery series which is a historical murder mystery with a side of romance let me dust my shoulders off boom 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 (laughs) all right so it uh opens in the late 1800s um the main character's name is veronica speedwell as i'm sure you could guess by the name of the series who is a um well i guess at this point she's a spinster which i mean she calls herself a spinster she was living with two spinster aunts who were her caretakers who have both died she is herself an orphan who doesn't know anything about her family um and she is a practicing lepidopterist as a natural scientist who studies butterflies she has traveled the world in pursuit of her scientific inquiries um she's well read in darwin she is uh she publishes under a pseudonym obviously because she's a woman but she's very well respected in her field and she also has you know occasional romantic dalliances when she's off on her travels she has a rule that she never sleeps with a man at home in England only when she's off traveling because she doesn't want to deal with like you know the judgment and the scandal and all of that um, that would come with I guess eating where you're whatever I was going to make a terrible joke there but never mind anyway so she is um, a bit of uh, blue stocking uh, she's brilliant and she suffers no guff um, and when the book opens in the very first chapter she's at the funeral for her aunt who's just died and then her house gets broken into when someone tries to kidnap her um, so for your sister who needs something that's like action-packed from the get this is a really good pick and then she is 
um, not accosted, but like this very friendly old baron appears at her doorstep and like saves her from this guy who's trying to kidnap her and tells her her life is in danger and that he knew her mother and she has to come with him immediately. And she, he's going to, you know, set her up with his friend for safekeeping until he figures out what's going on. And she is very much like, well, I don't know you, but I wanted to leave London anyway. So sure. And she goes with him. Um, and he drops her off at his friend's, uh, house, whose name is Stoker, who is also a natural historian, uh, very bad tempered and rude and salty and just, you know, aggressive and alpha male-ish. And she agrees to stay with him because it's, she's like curious about him and has nowhere else to go. And then the Baron dies and now she really has nowhere else to go. The Baron is murdered. And so she's stuck with Stoker and the two of them have decided that they're going to figure out what happened to the Baron together because it's a key to Veronica's past and because he was close friends uh, with Stoker. They're a hilarious pair. And of course there, there is the romance that sort of blossoms. Stoker is obnoxious. Like I don't, I didn't like him as a character um, much. He does that thing that, you know, a lot of romances do where, like, he is gruff and kind of the worst, and she's going to take him to heel or whatever. But the way that she handles him is really funny. Like, he tries to be very, like, well, now that you're in my care, I forbid you from going out to hunt butterflies. And her responses to him are forever, like, no, I don't think so. And then he just doesn't know what to do, and it's just, it's great. Like, it's the 1800s, and she just does whatever she wants, and I love it so much. So they get together to solve this, um mystery they end up like in a traveling circus at one point when they're hiding lots of stuff happens and it's super super fun very page turnery and because she is such an out of time kind of anomaly with her um with her feminism basically there's i feel like a lot to discuss and she's hilarious she's one of like my newest favorite characters in in fiction so that's a curious beginning by deanna rayborn I think I have a good one for you, too. It is also a historical mystery. It's A Study in Scarlet Women by Sherry Thomas, which Amanda is entirely at fault for making me obsessed with. (laughs) Um, It features a young woman named Charlotte Holmes, who is part of an aristocratic family in London. Um, And while the plot takes a minute to pick up, I was totally pulled in by the characters right from the beginning. So I'm hoping that your sister will feel the same. Um, Charlotte is at the very beginning of the book. She has just done the unforgivable. She has like ruined herself with a man and she did it deliberately, but she got caught in a way she did not expect to. And so now basically she is getting kicked out of her house and has to figure out how she is going to live. In the meantime, a bunch of other like noble persons around London have died under slightly suspicious circumstances. And it just so happens that those circumstances combine to put suspicion on her sister, who she loves a lot. So she is trying to figure out how she's going to like survive, get a job, live out her days without being known as, you know, the infamous like person that she has become suddenly in high society and also to clear her family of any murder charges. Um, And so it is a reimagining of the Sherlock Holmes books, obviously. And um, there's a Mrs. Watson, who's like a retired actress and is really amazing. (laughs) She's so amazing. Um, And there's a bunch of other characters. So if you're familiar with the Sherlock Holmes books, you'll see the call-outs. But if you're not familiar on any sort of deep level other than that you know that Sherlock exists, you're going to be fine. It's She's really imagining these cases um, in a new and different way. So yeah, it's a very, I really loved this book. It does get eerie and creepy at certain points. Um, Also trigger warning for assault and child abuse. It's not really on the pages, but it is discussed slightly. Um, 
But yeah, I just was so sucked in. And this is the first in a series. So if you guys like it, you will have more fodder for future book groups. Um, there is the second book is A Conspiracy in Belgravia, and that is out. And then The Hollow of Fear is coming out this year if it's not out already. So I hope that would be a good option for you. That's A Study in Scarlet Women by Sherry Thomas. And for our last question, which is from Rebecca, it says, let's see, just recently my aunt approached me to ask what books would be suitable for my 11-year-old cousin. Uh, Let's see, my cousin doesn't like any sad plot points, death, or major illness, so she refuses to read things like Charlotte's Web and other classics like that. I've come up with a short list, but I'm having trouble coming up with anything that I know for sure will interest her. She's very sensitive about things that might be scary or sad, so I'm basically looking for something like a grown-up magic treehouse. Let's see, do-do-do-do-do, okay. So I'm just going to keep talking. Um, My pick for you is Lumberjanes Volume 1, Beware the Kitten Holy (laughs) by by Noelle Stevenson, Grace Ellis, Faith Hicks, and Brooke Allen. There is nothing sad or scary in Lumberjanes Land. These are young ladies who are at Miss Quinzilla Thisquin Penniquiquel Thistle Crumpets Camp for Hardcore Lady Types. I can't believe I got through that. That was amazing. Um, (laughs) That was super impressive. Um, And they so they're at a camp in the woods for for hardcore lady types and they are having magical supernatural adventures in the woods around the camp um they have to solve riddles they have to you know do like find secret caves they have to look out for each other uh the main theme of this book is that friendship is magic which like gives me all of the feelings and kittens are actually a plot point that's not just the title so i i adore these comics it's a graphic novel collection well, I guess it's not a It's a collection of the single monthly issues. Um, this one has one through four. And then there are a bunch more volumes um, because Lumberjanes has been going on for a while and is ongoing. So this is like an opportunity for her to dive into this whole wonderful world. Um, the art is great. The like it's an inclusive story. So there's, you know, people of other like ethnicities and and there's lgbtq stuff going on and there's just really powerful positive representation um and it's just so much fun i actually have read this to children as young as four and they really liked it because (laughs) ripley of course is like perfect for four-year-olds um but i like i'm a grown-up and i also am obsessed with this book so it really is an all-ages comic so again that's lumberjanes volume one beware the kitten holy Okay, um, I just started reading the Magic Treehouse books with my kids, so like I am in this like <laughs> brain space right now. Um, so I picked The Gauntlet by Corinna Rizai, which is a middle grade novel um, that is very, you know, a bunch of kids go on a magical time-space adventure, so Magic Treehouse stuff applies here. Um, it's, it's essentially a steampunk Middle Eastern Jumanji Um, with a little girl as the main character. And I just love, it's so much fun. So Farah is the main character. She's 12 and her and her two best friends get stuck, like sucked into this mechanical board game that her aunt gives her for her birthday called the Gauntlet of Blood and Sand. And once they get inside it, they have to solve a series of puzzles in order to to defeat the game's creator who calls himself the architect in order to save themselves and everyone else who has been trapped inside over the years. And this includes Farah's baby brother, Ahmed, who got sucked in with them. I think he's like seven. Um, so they, they collect a series of 
really entertaining allies in the game, including a talking lizard named Henrietta um, and a man named Vijay who flies, he's like an aeronaut, like he flies a um, hot air balloon. Um, and together, the, the group of them, they go off and they battle like scorpions and camel spiders and something called a sand cat, which was really creepy. And they go through these series of challenges that the architect puts them up against all while trying to locate Farrah's little brother in the game. So it's not, it's, I mean, nothing sad happens and it's not scary unless you're like particularly frightened of spiders, I guess. Um, or if like the suspense of being faced with um, a really stressful or tense or difficult challenge is something that maybe she wouldn't like. Like sometimes my kids ask me, um, does something bad have to happen to get to the happy parts, which is their way of saying like, uh, oh, this is too stressful. Um, so there is a little bit of that, like this, like, uh, tense moments where you don't know if they're going to make it or not, but you do know because it's a middle grade novel and whatever. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. Like it's just like a fun action packed adventure um, that if you like Jumanji, which who doesn't, then you'll really enjoy. So that's The Gauntlet by Karuna Rizai. And that is our show. Hey-o. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, please do leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other folks to find the show, and we always appreciate your feedback. Thank you so much to today's sponsors. Um, you can find me on social media on Tumblr. It's jenirl.tumblr.com. What about you, Amanda? I'm mostly on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And we'll talk to you next time. <laughs> <laughs>